So what happened exactly what happened at the cross? What happened when God's son Jesus, when he was killed 2,000 years ago? What exactly took place there? You know, I want you to remember that the moment, the very moment when Jesus died, eternal life was immediately made available for you and for me. At that very moment when he expired, eternal life was made available for you and me. And this is a, a couple of phrases, a couple of sentences that we're going to be saying every meeting here when we have the, uh, the nightly meetings. And I'd encourage you to repeat it with me. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not in the Bible, it's not for me. One more time. If it's in the Bible, if it's not in the Bible, it's not for me. And that's where we're going. We're going to the Bible to find answers. It's not going to be the preacher's words, but God's words as found in the Bible. Many years ago, there was a ship that broke apart in a violent storm. And all the crew was lost, except for one man. This man, miraculously, he survived. And a few hours later in the morning, he found himself floating in a piece of debris from the ship. However, with no land in sight, he looked around and he could see no sign of land. He started to fear for his own life. He started to despair with the idea that he might never be rescued. He might never be rescued. And after a long, long, long time, that man noticed an object in the horizon. Wasn't quite sure what it was, but he kept looking at the horizon and he did see something. And he said, well, I think it's a best, the best bet for me to start swimming toward that object, whatever it was. And he started to swim and he began swimming toward it. And after a, a few hours, he was able to notice that it was a cross, the object that he was looking at. There was a cross silhouetted over the horizon. And it looked as if the cross was planted right on the water. So he kept swimming and swimming and swimming toward that object, toward that cross. And that cross was his way mark. He never took his eyes off the cross. He swam and swam and finally, hours later, he saw the shoreline. Yes, it was that cross sitting on the church that was the highest point in that small city. It was that cross that saved his life. It was the cross that gave him hope, that gave him courage, even though he was weak, but he, he was encouraged as he looked at that cross. And eventually, it was that cross that saved his life. Now today, that cross remains at that same exact spot where the old, that shipwrecked sailor saw it for the first time. It is a cross that's sitting there on top of the church in the Portuguese city of Macau in the southeast, uh, in the south coast of China. That cross is still there. For him, it pointed the way of life. And for millions and billions of people around the world, the cross also leads to the way of life, to eternal life. But how can this be possible? 
Why was that possible? In what way is that possible, you might ask? How can a cross be a symbol or represent life, represent eternal life for people? You know that through history, several various objects have been used to symbolize faith. Several distinct streams of faith. For example, the crescent moon and the star are a symbol of Islam. The six-pointed star of David is a symbol, as well as the seven-branched candlestick, is a symbol, are symbols of the Jewish religion. And yes, there is a cross. The cross has been a symbol of the Christian religion. But if you think about it, it is indeed a strange symbol for a religion. You know, it was the Romans who came up with the cross. I mean, over, over the course of history, people have been executed by, by nations. But it was the Romans who came up with the cross. It was the most cruel way of killing someone. Because the people, the worst criminals, would be executed like that. They would be put hanging on the cross. And it would take several days for them to die. It was cruel. They suffered intensely. So what does it mean today, or I, I should rather ask, what are some means today that we have, that we know of, that countries or nations use to kill people, to execute criminals? I could, I could speak of the electric chair, for example, uh, the lethal injection, right? A hanging, still used, beheading people, firing, firing squads, well, there, some, some of the methods are these. But can you imagine today if a religion would take, for example, the electric chair and use that as their symbol? What message would that get across? Can you imagine if there was a religion, a group of people who picked up, for example, the symbol of a needle with the lethal injection, and that's the symbol of our religion? Or a firing squad painted. That's the symbol of our religion. That's exactly what Christianity has done with the cross. So today we see crosses all over the world. They show up in churches and buildings. Uh, people use that as jewelry. So this ancient Roman of this ancient Roman symbol of the death penalty has been used by Christianity as its symbol. What does it mean? Why do millions of people around the world use the symbol, the symbol of death penalty, to point to a great hope, to the hope of eternal life, to the hope of a future world where everything will be perfect? The symbol of death is used to point to a world where no pain will exist, no suffering, no death, no sickness. That's the kind of hope I have. That's the kind of hope I believe you have. And it's because that symbol, the, because of what that symbol of death offers, that we have this hope. So when we talk about the cross, we're not just talking about any cross. We're talking about one cross specifically. And we are talking not about the object itself, but about the who about who was hanging on that cross. And who was hanging on that cross was Jesus of Nazareth. 
He was the creator. He was the God who created and made the whole universe. And he is the one that makes that cross something incredible. So who Jesus was and why he died on the cross is what makes this cross a great symbol for the Christian faith. But who was this Jesus after all? Do we know him? Do we know him personally? What does the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago more or less mean to you and I personally? Well, the answer I'll give you in a moment. But before, let's, let's go back and have some background on this Jesus. You know, just about 2,000 years ago, in the land of Judea, in the place where we currently know as the modern state of Israel, there lived a Jewish preacher whose name was Jesus of Nazareth. He was an itinerant preacher. When he was about 30 years old, he started to go from city to city, from village to village, preaching. Now, he hasn't been trained in the school of, of the rabbis. He hadn't been, tra hasn't, hadn't been trained in the, in the uh, official schools of the time. But he began to preach. And he began to teach. And by all accounts that we have, his ministry lasted no more than three and a half years. At that time, he had a small following. But you know, it was not a great following. As much as I would like to think it was, it was not really a large following, at least compared to today's standards. And most of his followers were among the poor, the humble, the uneducated, among those who would be, call, be called probably the lower classes of society. At the end of his ministry, because he had angered many of the religious leaders of the time, he was crucified. Now, in and of itself, the story I'm telling here may not sound so remarkable. Because, you know, uh, during over the course of centuries, there have been many itinerant preachers. And most of them, history has not even kept a record of. We don't talk about them anymore. They have disappeared into history, never to be heard of again. But not so with this Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't just disappear into history. Even today, some 2,000 years later, among millions who are still thinking, among millions of people, uh, billions around the world, there are millions and billions who are still talking about this Jesus. And this is all over the, the world. So what was, what was so special about this Jesus? And why was his death so special? I want to read to you from the Bible. And we'll find in the Bible why this Jesus was so special. And why his death was so special. Talking about Jesus, the Bible refers to him as the Word. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So you see that the Bible says that the word was Jesus. And the word was God. And this is something we must be sure to understand. We can't probably really explain it. But we should understand it as the Bible presents it. That the Godhead had 
is made up of three distinct, separate beings. There is God the Father, there is Jesus, God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. There are three beings, separate beings, but they have the same mind. They have the same thoughts. They never contradict each other. They are equals. It's hard to understand. I can't really explain it, but that's how it is. So the Bible is saying about Jesus that all things were made through him. And without Jesus, nothing that was created would have been created. In other words, every bush, every tree, every animal, every person, they were all created by Jesus. His words carried such power that he spoke things into existence. Let me show you how I know that Jesus spoke things into existence. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It was through Jesus that God made all the worlds, not only this planet earth, but all the worlds, the whole universe was made by God through Jesus. Everything was created through Jesus. And again, talking about Jesus, the Bible says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So notice here that the Bible is saying that all things were created by this Jesus of Nazareth. So if all things were created by Him, He pre-existed with, with God the Father. He is from the days of eternity. So Jesus of Nazareth, the Bible is saying that He is God and that He pre-existed with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Why Jesus of Nazareth? Now we must follow this carefully. How can it be that Jesus of Nazareth pre-existed all things if we know Him as being the child of Mary? Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. How could it be? How could Christ become a human baby? Well, the Bible says in, in uh, Luke one thirty-five, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Luke 1.35. So here is the explanation. It was clearly a miracle. Mary, who was a virgin, gave birth to Jesus, the Creator of the universe. It's mind-boggling. It may sound mind-boggling because it is. We can't really understand it fully, but... 
Jesus, the creator of the universe, by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, was born of Mary, who was a virgin. That's exactly what the Bible is telling us. And this is a beautiful picture. That Jesus Christ is the bridge between God, between heaven, and the lost humanity. This lost planet. This is what the Creator God is like. He cares so much for us. That He came down to live with us in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we can know, I can only ask you, wouldn't you like to know this Jesus more for yourself? Wouldn't you like to know more about what He did? Wouldn't you like to go beyond just uh, uh, an acknowledgement of this Jesus, but going into a personal relationship with Him and knowing Him personally? What does Jesus' death actually mean to you and to me personally look at the, what the bible says here let this mind this is in philippians chapter 2 5 to 8 let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider it robbery to be equal with, equal with god but made himself of no reputation Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance, appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 5, 8. I find out that this is kind of a tool for the preacher when he noticed that the audience is sleeping or going into sleep. I just found out about this, but I won't be using it. I, I'm sorry, I stepped on the, the, the wire here, on the cable. So Paul is saying here that Jesus was God himself. He, he was the creator. He became a human and he made himself one of us. He became just like you and me. He made himself of no reputation. He had all power, all glory, but he said, I'm going to become just like one of them. This is amazing. And what is more amazing is what Paul is saying here, that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Remember what I talked about the cross that the Romans came up with? Jesus not only died, Jesus could have died while he was sleeping, maybe. You know, in the morning someone would find him dead there. But he died even the death of cross. It is amazing that not only Jesus would do it. But the question is, why? Why would he do it? This is something really wonderful. John 3.16. The Bible tells us exactly why. Why he did it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I wonder if you could repeat this verse with me. And notice the word soul. For God so loved the world 
I believe you love your spouse. I believe you love your boyfriend, your girlfriend. I believe you love your children. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can you repeat with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved us that Jesus came to our planet. He came in person. He came to die. So we, we are not here left by ourselves. We are not here living in this stranded planet. Much on the contrary. This, this, this is the only one planet where Jesus came and took the form of the people living in that planet. He became one of us. And he will forever be identified with the human race. He has identified with our struggles. We can say that we don't have a, a, a savior who... Who cares for us? Yes, we do. Nobody will ever be, be able to say, Oh Lord, uh, I've been failing, but you don't, know how, you don't know how life is here on earth. We can't say that. Oh Father, you don't really know what I'm going through. It's too much suffering. Yes, it does. He's one of us. I am with you always, he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have loved you. That's the kind of savior you and I have. But this is just the beginning of it. Because we have been talking, we talked about the cross today. And we are going to talk about the cross. We're talking about the son of God becoming a man. Whose entire purpose with this was from the moment of his birth. Was to die for our sins. And as we have already seen, Jesus did just that. He died a terrible death for you and for me. What's the meaning of this? Have you ever done something wrong? Have you? Oh, I'm glad it's been only me and, and just a couple. I've done many wrong things in my life. Things I'm ashamed of. Things I don't talk about anymore. But I've done many wrong things. Perhaps someone has had the habit of of lying to other people. Perhaps they have cheated on someone. Perhaps they even killed someone. Maybe you and I have done some really bad things. Things that no one knows about. Well think twice. Someone, at least one, someone knows about it. God knows everything. God knows all things we do, whether good or bad. There are no secrets we can, we can keep from God. But still, here is what the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in, are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The Bible also tells us that God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes 12.14 So if you and I have done something wrong. If there is something that maybe we did and we hid from someone else. We must know that we have not hidden that from God. The Bible makes clear that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's what Romans 3.23 says. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of my sin is death. 
The wages of your sin is death. So, still, our natural tendency is to become our own gods. It's to make our own views and desires the final standard on how we are going to act. That's the human tendency. Human tendency is to reject all authority but our own. This is not only sinful, but this is wrong. And because we have sinned and because we have done wrong, we have forfeited eternal life. And instead, we face, we're destined to eternal death because of our sin and rebellion. We're destined to die because our conduct has shown that we are in rebellion against God. And the bottom line is this, that we cannot serve two masters. We got to choose one. Either we serve God or we serve God's enemy, Satan. Satan. And this is what happened in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? God said to Adam and Eve, don't touch the tree, don't eat that fruit, or you're going to die. But Satan came to Eve and said, it's not like that, you'll surely not die. Actually, if you eat from this tree, if you eat the fruit of this tree, you're going to become just like God. Now the crucial question here is this, who did Eve follow? Did she follow God, the God of heaven, or did she follow God's enemy? Yeah, unfortunately she did. And the Bible reveals that Eve started to ponder about those things. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And here we are after Eve and Adam partook of that fruit, here we are some 6,000 years later, still reaping the consequences of the choice. And we see sickness, war, disease, death all over the world. But the scripture is still clear in Romans 5.12 where it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, Jesus came to revert that. Jesus offers, offers us a way out. He tells us that we can make a choice for Him. That we can have Him as our Savior and our Lord. He says, choose me and I'll give you eternal life. You don't have to die for eternity. You can live for eternity. You know, most people, if you would ask them, do you consciously choose to follow Satan? They would say, no, of course not. And if I were to ask each one of you, I'm sure that would be the answer. I don't want anything to do with the devil. I don't follow him. But you know, every time, every time you and I choose our own opinions over God's authority, we're doing just exactly what Eve did, what Adam did. God tells us in the Bible, You shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 23. And that includes not only idols. People think, oh, you shall have no other gods before me. Oh, idols made of, of stone or of wood or whatever. But that includes ourselves. That includes our own ideas. That includes anything that may separate ourselves from the only source of hope and happiness in life. 
And that's what happened in, in, in uh, Eden. The Bible says that God so loved the world though. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. In other words, though we all have done wrong, though we all have rebelled, we don't have to face the death penalty because Jesus suffered that penalty for us. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is no condemnation, but only for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus suffered the death penalty right there on the cross. He did it in our place. You and I can have life eternal. We are no longer under condemnation as long as we accept Him as our Savior. You know in every country of the world there have been death penalties and punishments. And there are laws on how someone who violates the law, who breaks the law, is supposed to face punishment. And maybe they were fined to bring a uh, hundred goats. In other places it would be a thousand dollars or thousands of dollars. Some people could go to jail, could go to prison, spend life in prison, or some people would be condemned to death. Whatever, whatever the violator has done, he has to pay the price. He has to pay the, pay the price for breaking the law. But in our case, we all have broken God's law. And we would have to die. But thank God that there is good news. The good news of the gospel that Jesus came and took our place. And this is how the Bible puts it. Isaiah 53, 6. All we were like sheep and we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So think about it. God has put on Jesus all of our sins. The iniquity of us, of us all. And then Jesus was offered as a sacrifice. Well you can't explain that either. You can't explain the Godhead being three separate persons. You can't really explain how Jesus was born of Mary. And you can't explain how they came to this arrangement, this agreement. But that's what they have. And I can only thank God and praise Him for this arrangement. That's why the Bible refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. That's how much God has loved you. That's how much God has put you in His heart. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is not waiting. God's not waiting that you become perfect. Because you can, before you can come to Him. Because Jesus has demonstrated His love toward you personally. While you were still a sinner. He did it first. He loved you first. So you could have the opportunity to love Him. So that means that if ever you lied to people. Jesus paid the penalty for that. 
Whether you lied once or whether you lied a thousand times, Jesus paid the penalty for that. If you've ever committed adultery, Jesus paid the penalty for that. If you've ever stolen, if, you have, if you've ever cheated, if you've even committed murder, Jesus has paid the penalty of death in your place. Does that sound as good news to you? It does for me. It does for me because I was desperately needing that. Because I could find no way out in my life. But when I read in the Bible that Jesus paid the price for me and He freed me from all condemnation. And all I had to do was to accept Him and to live for Him. And as long as I live for Him, He will save me in the end. It brought me hope. It brought me hope. Jesus promises that He will be merciful to our unrighteousness, as Hebrews put it, puts it here. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I'm sure that people will always remember something wrong you've done to them. I'm sure people I have wronged will always remember that. Maybe some will forget, but most won't. Most won't. But Jesus says that he will never again remember any of the lawless deeds we have done. And he will not. He will never, never come in and throw it in your, on your face. Saying, you did this before 10 years ago. Remember that? That's what we, we as human beings do. But not Jesus. So my prayer, my friend, is that if today there is something, something in your way. Something preventing you from accepting this Jesus for real. This is the time to do it. Because now we still have the opportunity. Now Jesus is still inviting all of us. He's calling us to be His friends. He's calling us to accept Him and live for Him. Jesus is the one who created you. He has the best interest in His mind for, his mind for you. So we'd rather choose Jesus. We'd rather choose Jesus now and never again worry about dying for eternity. But living forever. We'll be living forever with Him. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Well, whether you're a member of this church, whether you're a visitor, whether you have been coming to this church but have never taken the commitment, taken a commitment with Jesus. Jesus is calling you today to a new start. Jesus is calling you today and even if you have been a member of this church for many years but you feel that you have wronged in many ways. God is calling you to a new start. And He can empower you. And He can save you. He can cleanse you completely. If you only say yes to Jesus right now. He's still inviting you in Revelation 3 to when we read. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I don't know how Jesus will come into me, but I believe it is possible because He has said He will do it. If He was able to be born as a baby of Mary, I'm sure He can come and dwell in my heart and change my mind. 
I only have to tell him, Lord, yes, right now, Lord, right now. You know, some people say that Christianity is so cheap. Oh, that's cheap. You commit your sins and then you go back to Jesus and you ask for forgiveness and all is fine, all is good. I must tell you, it isn't cheap at all. It costs the life of the Son of God. You and I have been bought by blood, with blood. We are blood-bought souls. We are blood-bought children of the King of the universe. So I must ask you again, wouldn't you give a chance to Jesus today? And if you have accepted Jesus, but you've been failing, why not restart fresh today? Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. A new heart, a new spirit. That's what I've been looking for. That's what I want. But he also wants to give you, as 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, he will also give you the mind of Christ. So you can, going forward, always think correctly. Always make the right choices. Always make the choices that will preserve your health, that will preserve your well-being, and that will be good for those around you. And in this way, we'll be hastening the coming of the Lord. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will give you the strength that you need to obey Him. The Bible is pretty, absolutely clear about this. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. My friends, this is the essence of the Christian faith. I can't explain everything. I don't have all the explanations. I'll, I hope to spend all eternity understanding from Jesus how they can be three in one. And asking Jesus how he could come here and be born of Mary and die on the cross and why he did it. I will spend all eternity trying to understand this and getting the explanations from Jesus himself. But the one thing I can do now, right here, right now, right now, is to accept this provision that God made in Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to do that as well? When Jesus died on the cross, when he was hanging on the cross, he was able to look down to the, through the centuries, down through the ages and see you here. In 2016, he saw you down through the ages. He saw you the day you were born. He knew you. He thought of you. As awesome and as amazing, as incredible as this might seem, that's the truth. He died Thinking of you. Many years ago, British writer Charles Dickens wrote a famous book that some of you may even have read it, called The Tale of Two Cities. It was about the French Revolution. French Revolution, as we know, began in the last decade of the 18th century. But in this book, it's told of the incredible violence that occurred at the time and how thousands upon thousands of people were killed by angry mobs. And among the condemned people, 
the, the, one who were con, uh, the ones who were condemned to die, there was a young man called Charles. Charles had a wife and had a young daughter. And he was condemned for a crime. And his crime was that he belonged to an aristocratic family. His crime was that. And he was because of that sentence, sentenced to the guillotine. Now there was at that time no hope. There was no, no appeal. There was no chance of pardon. And he had to die. But there is another man who enters the picture here. His name was Sidney. In this story, Sidney was the kind of man that didn't have much to be looked at. He didn't, never did much in his life. Never did much with his life. And he was not really famous, but he did care about Charles. And he cared about Charles and about his wife and about his child. And through some careful planning, according to the book, Sidney managed to get himself placed in the same jail cell as Charles was. So that Charles could escape and no one would ever notice it. And so it happened. One day Charles just left, just escaped, and Sidney remained in the jail cell. So among the mo amid the mobs and the hysteria, no one knew that that switch had taken place. <clears throat> and as the mob was carrying Sidney down the street, they thought it was Charles. When they hurled insults towards Sidney, they thought, they thought it was Charles that they were hurling insults to. When the head was placed in the guillotine, they thought it was Charles's head. When the blade fell and took Charles's life, Sidney's life, they thought it was Charles' life that had been taken. But no, Charles was safe and sound with his family. It was the life of Sidney that was took, taken. Sidney sacrificed himself so that Charles could live with his family. And so that Charles could live with his family, Sidney died instead. This sounds as an amazing story, but I tell you, this is just a story. It never, ever would compare with the true story of Jesus, our Creator, who gave His life for us. It is the same idea, the idea of substitution, of someone suffering for a crime that they didn't commit in order that the condemned person could go free. This is what Jesus did for us that's why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You don't have. You don't have to die for your sins. Even if you have to rest before Jesus comes. It, it can be just a temporary thing. Because when Jesus comes, those who have gone to rest in the faith of Jesus, sorry, will be resurrected and be brought back to life. And have the opportunity then to spend eternity with Him. That's Jesus' plan for you. That's how much He loved you. That He gave His life for you. And my prayer for all of us this morning 
is that we accept the sacrifice. But we accept it truly because he is real and he can save us. May God bless us all.